can't always get what you want But if you try sometimes Well, you might find Welcome, I'm John LaBelle. This is Visionaries. We're here every Monday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. So we're global. So it could be any time anywhere in the world. But at 10 a.m. U.S. Eastern Time at prn.fm. And if you don't catch us live, you can catch us at visionaries.podbean.com. And here, any of our back shows, I'll tell you more about that later. On Visionaries, we talk about creativity in the arts, sciences, technology, culture, and spirituality, and about how we can enrich the world and ourselves by tapping into the energies of the cosmos. And along the way, we talk to some of the most interesting people in the world. My guest today is one of those interesting people, Ivan Shumkov. He's going to be talking about his Build Academy and online education and how it's disrupting universities. Yvonne, welcome. Thank you, John. It's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Great. So let's start, Yvonne, with your background. You're an architect. What does that mean? Where did you study? What do you what do architects do? Well, nowadays architects do a lot of things, as you know, and uh, the profession has evolved quite a lot in, in the past years. Um, architects tend to were people who are designing buildings traditionally, and now architects are doing many things. Now it's fascinating what uh, how the profession has expanded and how we had uh, been able to immerse ourselves into so many other fields. And in terms of my background, I yes, I am an architect. I've been trained as an in architecture, engineering, real estate, construction, uh, uh, education. I started my studies in Florence uh, back in 1999, then moved to Germany, then to Barcelona, eventually finished with both masters in Florence and Barcelona, then started a PhD on Le Corbusier, moved to Harvard for my masters, and after two years at Harvard, I went to Colombia to finish my PhD. And that's what brought me here to New York, and I fell in love with the city and decided to stay here. So I've been here for the past nine years. Cool. So uh, my guest, Yvonne, has a Ph.D. I don't have a Ph.D. I didn't do that in my day. I think there were only 50 in the world when uh, uh, I was in school. But it's, uh, it's uh, more common now. Yvonne, you did an incredible exhibit of Lecurbius's work. Was that your Ph.D. work? And describe that to our listeners because... I had never seen so many plants. Yeah, that was uh, back in the days when you and I were teaching at uh, Pratt Institute. So in 2010, I did an exhibit called Miracle Boxes, and uh, that was the outcome of my uh, doctoral research. Um, I did a thesis on Pavillon de Temple Nouveau, which is a pavilion in Paris, and later expanded it into 50 other projects uh, that turned out into an exhibit that was shown in the Netherlands, at Columbia, uh, here at Pratt Institute, and was widely published. So, uh, yeah, that was a fascinating experience. And Le Corbusier is still uh, someone who I think about every day and who reminds me about uh, 
architecture and about uh, the ability of architecture to change the world and to make a positive difference. Cool. So speaking about positive difference, you got into founding your own, I guess technically we shouldn't use the word university, but you've got your own school and it's called Build Academy. What does Build Academy do? How do people participate? Uh, uh, how did you put this together? So yeah, it's been a fascinating journey. Three years ago, uh, in 2013, around this time, actually, we had our three-year anniversary a week ago. Around this time, I, I started this company, Build Academy, where we now do professional education solutions and innovation for the building industry. So it's been an interesting, uh, actually, a fascinating journey, and it happened quite organically. I was uh, involved with, uh, I was on the board of Harvard University for three years, overseeing continuing education, and that's when we launched uh, HarvardX and edX. And so I learned about online education and, and all its uh, opportunities. And uh, I was teaching at Pratt with you at that time, and I thought, okay, well, I think we can do this for architecture because no one else was doing it. So I launched an online course, which was uh, at that time uh, on a platform in Europe called Diversity, and I was lucky to get uh, subsidies from the European Union to do that. So uh, with my first online course in architecture called Contemporary Architecture, we had 27,000 people, and that really blew my mind, you know, because I was used to having 10 people in a classroom, and then when we put it online, we had 27,000, you know, so... It was really, really something else. So just a comment on that number. Uh, I teach, I've always taught at Pratt School of Architecture required courses, so every student has me because it's a required course. And in my 40-plus years, I've had maybe 5,000 students. So there you are right away with five times as many students in one course than I've had uh, exposure to in 40 years. So that shows the power of this thing. So I want to, before we go forward with more about Build Academy, talk about this whole thing of online education. Back in 1985, a colleague of mine who's a philosophy professor uh, was visiting me in New York. He would stay with me when he was in New York. And he told me that he was the second person in history to teach an online course. And I said, well, what's that? You know, so I find out what it's about. And in those days, it would all be text. Yeah, there wasn't any video. But in his case, what they did was all the students would come for a one-week intensive meeting to get to know everybody. And then they all go home, and they would do the course online. And the advantage was it was outside of, what's the term when it's not in real time? It's asynchronous. Asynchronous, right. So somebody might, uh, one of these were for executives, and one might get up in the morning and type for a half hour to do his coursework, and then somebody in the evening could read what he wrote and respond to it. They didn't have to all be online at the same time. And then they meet again at the end of the course. So I said, well, that's cool. And I had the VAX machine, which was our centralized computer at Pratt, which is what computers were then, uh, I had just gotten my Mac, but Macs couldn't do very much. Uh, uh, but I had the Vax rigged up so that we could email each other in my class. So you just go to group and everybody would get the email. And that way we started a conversation going. 
So I said, wow, I'm teaching online as well as, <laughs> as, well as, as, well as in the classroom. And then just a few years ago, there's this uh, tech, tech hero, Sebastian Thrun, who at Google, he, well, for Google, he put together 15 Stanford students and they made the first workable self-driving car, which the, today's self-driving cars are descendants of. And this was after DARPA, the military, had spent 10 years and several hundred million dollars and been unable to do it. Or maybe it was several billion. <laughs> he just had 300,015 students and he made it work. And then he did Google Glass, uh, which will be back in one form or another probably. And then he was teaching artificial intelligence at Stanford and he said, why don't I try putting this course online? He got 160,000 students. So all of a sudden everybody said, oh my God, there's something here. So Yvonne, tell us about some of the companies doing this and what, uh, what's been the history over the past, say, five years with uh, this online education. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, uh, Udacity and Sebastian were among the pioneers in online education with the MOOCs or the Massive Open Online Courses, as they were called at that time. Then we also have Coursera, which also came out of uh, Stanford from two Stanford professors. And then we have edX, which was started by MIT and Harvard in uh, 2013. So these are some of the largest uh, startups at the moment doing online education. We have also Udemy, um, which is very different. Udemy doesn't work with universities. It works with individual professors and, and people buy courses um, um, by single course, but it's not MOOCs, it's paid education. And we have some other companies like, for example, General Assembly that has a blended model between classroom education on their different campuses and also the online courses. So um, the evolution of uh, online education has Went, has gone from the MOOCs, the massive open online courses, where university or professor would put together a course and show it online, and thousands of people from all over the world would sign and later would eventually buy a certificate in the end. That was in the early days. And then afterwards, um, all those companies, including mine, Build Academy, we went to creating something called the micro-credentials, and that's been the second phase of uh, this um, online education. So before we go on with that, uh, a couple of years ago, you and I did a course on Frank Lloyd Wright, and we were in the studios that uh, where you, you, one of the places you teach is NYU. Yes. So we're able to use the studios there, and that course is all, still available. So. If someone wants to take a course in Frank Lloyd Wright, they could go to buildacademy.com. You'll, you'll find it right away. But what 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 happens? What's it, what's it like to take a, a course online? So it's a very different experience from taking a course in a classroom. Um, in the beginning, in the early days, most online courses were essentially capturing, putting a camera in a classroom and capturing a professor's lecture uh, from the classroom and, and turning it uh, hosting it on the platform, and then it evolved into much more targeted and sophisticated presentation method. 
taking a course online, it means being able to collaborate with people from all over the world, being able to to share ideas, discuss, and learn from people that you would normally not meet anywhere else. So let's let's describe this. Um, the in our course, one of the interesting things was, and this this isn't something that you made up, but it the, the lectures should be about seven minutes. And I remember the recording equipment at um, at, at NYU. Uh, the recording equipment was would flash uh, <laughs> seven minutes, <laughs> and we could continue to talk, but they want us to know, you're not supposed to go more than seven minutes. That's an interesting idea, because we have two-hour lectures in the history course that you and I um, have worked on at Pratt, and I mean, I know the material. I've been sitting in on this course for 40 years, so, uh, but I get, I get lost, you know, it's like, what, 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 what was at the beginning of the two hours? What, who are we covering now? And these poor students have never heard this stuff before, get totally lost. So in seven minutes, you're supposed to present one clear idea. And so there you have your lecture. And then you can, uh, our, in our course right now, you can't do it because we're just looking at the archived lectures. But when it was new when we were doing it, students could um, go to chat groups, they could take uh, quizzes, uh, and then there are different ways the quizzes are graded. They might be graded by other students, they might be graded by the professor. When there's a couple thousand students, that's not really doable. But it sort of forces those quizzes into multiple choice so that can be computer graded. But they can have discussion groups. In some cases, I understand your courses would have uh, people who could get to New York would meet. Uh, so it involves the, the lecture, but then all these other ways of interacting. And in my reading of the online education newsletters, uh, some people have been able to show, oh, you know, this, this, you know the, in some cases it's superior to classroom, some cases not. But so some of, what are some of the actual things that people do online that constitute this uh, new approach to education? So, yeah, uh, online education was much more interactive and I would say much more engaging than uh, a classroom education, at least for me. Uh, it's been just a fascinating experience being able to, to teach this way and, and to learn this way from others. As you mentioned, the courses are much, the videos are much shorter. Uh, we tend to make them less than seven minutes because, as you know, people's attention span nowadays, it's getting shorter and shorter. In fact, it was seven minutes was the rule maybe two years ago, but nowadays we try to make them up to like four minutes because, you know, people just don't have the patience to listen anymore. <laughs> and you, wonder, you wonder how people read a book. <laughs> uh, right. <laughs> no. I don't know if people read books anymore. No. <laughs> uh, no, our, our way of, of communicating uh, has completely changed over the past years. So um, we keep it short and also we keep it very engaging. You know, uh, when you teach online, you have to be super focused. You have to be super uh, direct to the audience and you have to basically grab their attention so that they cannot just give up and do something else, look at their phone or, or switch to another website, you know, as it always, as it sometimes happens. 
So for, that's it. You know, for the first point is being like very short, concise, and very clear about what you communicate. The other thing is there is a, a ongoing assessment throughout the the course, and after every video, which is let's say seven minutes, there is a short quiz that makes sure that someone has whoever has been watching that video has actually learned whatever was in that video. And if they don't pass that quiz, it means they have to go back before they advance to the next one. And that's one. Then I think one of the fascinating parts is particularly the interaction with people from elsewhere. So you are not unlike a, a classroom course where you speak for two hours and then in the end you have questions and answers. And Any questions? No, thank you. <laughs> and exactly. And after two hours, people are are tired of, of listening to the professor, so they, they can't wait to get out of the classroom. No? So usually there are no questions. With online, it's, it's very different. With online, you ask a question, like after every video there is a discussion, you ask a question, and then there are hundreds, if not thousands of people that answer to that question. They interact with each other. They have like a really lively discussion. They can post pictures, videos. They can write comments. So it really becomes an opportunity to to have really incredible discussions. So I myself has been surprised of the of the quality and of uh, these interactions. Then another thing that we have are the virtual classrooms, all right? So the virtual meetings, which we host usually on, on Saturdays because um, people work during the week and uh, obviously they're all in different time zones. So it's hard to, to get them to commit to one time during the week. So every Saturday morning we would have virtual meetings where people would log in from all over the world and would talk about the content of the course, would discuss with the professor, with other people in the course. So it becomes really a fascinating uh, experience to meet people from parts of the world and cultures that you never expected, and also to engage in really meaningful discussions about the material of the class. So one of the things I gather, uh, let's just pick one, let's say your contemporary architecture course, what was the global distribution of students? In other words, what percent from the U.S. and where else uh, did they come from? Yeah, so for contemporary architecture, um, we had something like 50 15% of our users from India, which was interesting. And it's kind of understandable because India has, it's probably the country with the uh, the biggest country with English speaking uh, English speakers in the world. So there was a lot of there were a lot of people from there. There were a lot of people from places like uh, Brazil, uh, Spain, the UK, Russia, and the United States. And interestingly, the United States, when we started, was not our uh, main, uh, uh, let's say, audience. No, it evolved throughout the years to be our main audience. And now, at this point, uh, we have about twenty-five courses on the platform. And the majority of the people are from the United States. But in the beginning, it was really a global audience. And it was just fascinating to see how people think about um, architecture in all these places. So um, I want to ask you now about how your business model has evolved and how online education has evolved just in these uh, past few years. So I understand that I mentioned earlier Sebastian Thrun 
he left Stanford to start Udacity as a result of his uh, discovering 160,000 students who wanted to take his course. But then he discovered something happening, which was uh, a huge dropout rate. And I uh, am guilty myself to, oh, that course looks interesting, sign up, and then never even go to the first lecture or listen to one lecture and say, okay, I get what they're doing, uh, and not go further. So I gather that what Udacity did was sort of evolve their business model. So what did you, have you observed over the past few years about this online education? I know just a few years ago, when this was getting started in its current incarnation, because I've described, you know, it was going on as long ago as the mid-'80s, but it's, there's this, this new incarnation. A few years ago, people were threatening that universities would disappear, you know, the whole just the way Amazon has made disappear uh, bookstores and uh, made disappear, uh, you know, Sears is disappearing. And that's turned out not to happen and something different is happening. So how has it been evolving? Yeah, so you're right. I mean, universities are, are here to stay, and I don't think they are uh, disappearing. I think they will certainly evolve into more blended model, which uh, includes a mix of online and, and on-site courses. But universities are um, an alternative model to online education. So what online education does, it serves a very different um, type of user. So universities usually cater to to students that are anywhere between 18 and 25 years old. While online education, it's the way we have experienced this, it's more for professionals, people who already have a degree. In fact, our students at, or our users at Build Academy, about more than 80% of our users already have a college degree. And about 40% of our users have some kind of higher degree, master's or, or a PhD. So um, it turns out that online education, it's, it's something more for professionals than for uh, early entry-level students. And in terms of the business model evolution that you asked about in the beginning, yes, we have all uh, tried to make money, <laughs> to make it work with the, with the online courses. And in the beginning, all of us, what we were doing was to launch an online course, uh, have maybe about 5% of the people complete the course, you know, so the completion rate for, for everyone was consistent between 3 and 5% for uh, us at Build Academy, Coursera, and Udacity. And later, out of those, let's say, 3 to 5%, about 1% of, of uh, all the people who signed for the course would, would actually buy a certificate of completion. And people found it useful for showing uh, as a credential to show to their uh, potential employers or, or to their current employees as a way to evolve uh, and improve their uh, career standing. It turns out that that model was not uh, sustainable because um, many people would just come for the learning but not necessarily for the certificates. So for all of us uh, online education companies, it was really hard to make this sustainable because launching an online course requires an incredible investment of, of time and resources. And just by selling online certificates, that uh, was not happening. 
And also what we found is that uh, people are in need of a credential that has more value in the industry. So we all started something called the micro-credentials, which is something intermediate between a course certificate and uh, let's say a degree program or a master's degree or some kind of diploma. And we all call it in different ways. So for example, edX is calling it micromasters right now. Udacity is calling it nano degrees. Coursera is calling it specializations. And the Build Academy, we call it diploma programs. And that consists in uh, um, a bundle of anywhere between four and eight courses for us. So right now at Build Academy, we have three programs. One is in modern contemporary architecture, where we have five courses. We have a very successful program in um, real estate with professors from Harvard University, uh, um, Rick Pizer and uh, Christine Hunter, who was, by the way, my professor 10 years ago. And we also have a program in resilient and sustainable design together with Philadelphia University. So when people take these courses that have uh, programs that have between five and eight courses, they come out with a credential which has more value uh, for the industry. So when they go to a potential employer, they can say, look, I've studied with Build Academy for a semester or two, and I have this um, diploma that says that I am an expert in certain area. So that's been the first step. The second step, and, and that's what most online education providers have uh, have um, uh, moved to. The second step, at least for us at Build Academy, uh, has been to work closely with the industry. So in fact, we've, we've spent the past year talking to uh, large companies from the building industry, architecture, engineering, real estate, construction, and building products to understand what they need in terms of people, what they need in terms of knowledge and skills, and how we can solve their problems through online education. So it turns out that uh, companies, and, and that's where we are right now, uh, are willing to uh, work with us because we are able to help them solve some of their biggest challenges. For example, reduce the risk, for example, reduce the costs of a project or the time of a project, making sure that every uh, person who works on a specific project has the right skills and knowledge to execute on that project and to deliver the highest quality of uh, results that are possible. Cool. So let's, uh, let's take a break. And we right now my guest is Ivan Shumkov, and he's telling us about his company, Build Academy. So how do they find you? The companies? Buildacademy.com, right? Yes, okay. buildacademy.com. Okay, so uh, if you're listening right now, you're probably actually listening online. So pop on over, look at Build Academy, see what we're talking about. We'll take a break for a minute, and we'll be right back talking about online education. Progressive Radio Network is now on iTunes. Search for us to listen and download past shows or get them updated automatically. Just type Progressive Radio Network in the search bar and download any show free of charge. Progressive Radio Network, information for the independent mind. 
Hi everyone, my name is Dr. Michael Walt, and I'm proud to announce that I'm the host of a new show right here on PRN every Saturday at 1 o'clock entitled Ask the Blood Detective. And as your friendly neighborhood blood detective, I'll be exploring all the cutting edge, important health topics, which will include everything from foods to technology to supplementation and how it impacts your current health so that you can either reach health, maintain good health, or shoot for optimal health and longevity. But what is different about this show is that I'll be describing and teaching you how to interpret your own laboratory test to find hidden nutritional and health meaning when many other healthcare providers fail to do so. So tune in with me every Saturday at 1 o'clock. Ask the Blood Detective. See you soon. South of the border. I'm Johnny Mueller, host of the Expat Files, living in Latin America. Heard Friday at 11 a.m. and Sunday at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It's a show where you'll learn how to work, play, do business, or retire and live the life of Riley. Yes, an amazing number of first world people like you are jumping off the stateside treadmill and voting with their feet. And surprise, surprise, they're finding there really is an American dream. But it's not in Seattle, Milwaukee, or Cleveland anymore. It's down here in Latin America. So be sure to tune in to the Expat Files to find out how you can live the good life on a measly Social Security check. This is Peter Bregan with exciting news about the month of December on PRN. Every Wednesday at 4 p.m. in December, on the Dr. Peter Bregan Hour, I will be interviewing Danish physician and researcher Peter Goetze. He's the author of Deadly Medicines and Organized Crime, and also the author of Deadly Psychiatry and Organized Denial. Goetze is one of the clearest, strongest, and uncensored voices in medicine and psychiatry today. Be an intense four-hour seminar on what's the matter with psychiatry and what can be done about it. Welcome back. I'm John LaBelle. This is Visionaries. Our guest today is Ivan Chimkov talking about his company, Build Academy, which you'll find at buildacademy.com. And we're talking about online education and how it is or is not disrupting universities. And before we go on with our guests, just a mention of some of our past shows. Again, for this show in a day or so, Go to visionaries.podbean, P-O-D-B-E-A-N is a Nancy, dot com, and you'll be able to download or stream this show and listen to any of our back shows. Just uh, last week, we talked about Marshall McLuhan and had a whole bunch of clips of McLuhan talking. Everybody has heard of McLuhan, but nobody today has read McLuhan, so we talked about that. Before that, we talked about David Deutsch's Beginning of Infinity. Before that, I had on, my guest was Phil Cousineau, filmmaker, writer. Before that, we talked about our computational world. We talked about, in another show, Becoming Creative. Had two colleagues of mine on, Michael Silver, and another show, Bill Catavalis. I like to refer to Bill Catavalis as, uh, pardon me, Bill, a lunatic genius. 
And uh, he's one of these people up there with Bucky Fuller and stuff like that in really wild ways of uh, wild ways of thinking. He'd be working on his 240-mile-high building, building it down from uh, the orbit of the uh, International Space Station. I had on John David Ebert talking about movie reviews and culture. Going to have Ebert on again soon, and he's going to explain to us what the, who and what the French postmodernists are. And we had on Natasha Vita Moore, a prominent figure in transhumanism, Find her at natasha.cc. We talked about Joseph Campbell, had on the director of the Campbell Foundation. You'll find them at jcf.org. I had on Louis Arana, who is an artificial intelligence person, engineer, I guess, and he's now chief engineer for a Japanese robotics company. So, And the other cool thing is, uh, these people, some of them I've you know met only a few times. They were gracious to come on, but then I follow them on Twitter. I can find out what they're up to. So if you look up Louis Arana on Facebook, you can follow what he's doing at his Japanese robot company, and uh, we'll see what their robots are going to be doing. So again, my guest today is Ivan Shumkov from Build Academy, and. After doing an online course for a European online education company, Yvonne started his own company and discovered that, uh, wow, so uh, I've, I've, I've taken the route of, was fortunate enough to get a full-time faculty position, so I, I'll never get rich, but I don't have to worry about next month's rent. Yvonne has his own company when it gets bought out by LinkedIn for $300 million, as uh, one of these companies recently did. He'll be able to retire, maybe. But, Yvonne, tell us about the path of starting. What what led you to do this, and what have been the surprises along the way? Yeah, thank you, John. Thank you again for inviting me here at Visionaries. Um, so starting a company, it's one of the hardest experiences that, um, at least for me, I've had in my life. <laughs> it's one of those things that you say, wow, what a great idea. Let me do it. <laughs> and then soon after you understand that being an entrepreneur, it's, uh, it's a very different experience from being an architect or being a professor, which is what I was uh, doing previously before Build Academy. But for me, it kind of happened quite organically. To me, it, it turned out to be more of a calling than something that I was necessarily consciously pursuing. So I, I did it because I, I had to do it. I realized that there was a huge opportunity. I realized that there was a huge need for improving uh, the, the status quo of the uh, building industry and, and our built environment. So I decided that a company is necessary because this is how you build a team, this is how you find clients, this is how you develop a product. So for me, it's been actually uh, a very difficult but also um, a really uh, enriching journey. So when I started first, uh, I was I was doing it from uh, the library of uh, Pratt Institute where I was teaching at that time. 
it's then I left Pratt Institute to start a company and I actually moved to NYU. So in the beginning for the first two years, in fact, I, I ran the company from the library <laughs> of NYU. It's cool. There's there's a whole floor there and you can sort of commandeer a desk that's got a terminal on it. And uh, next thing you know, you've got a uh, conference room. <laughs> exactly. And, and also I, I did a PhD, so I've, I've, I'm very comfortable uh, working in the li- in libraries, so for me that was kind of a natural extension after the uh, academic life. And so in the beginning, yes, you start, you build a website, you build a product, you launch it out there, and you pray that someone would actually sign in for your courses and 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 appreciate your product. Then you start selling something, and you pray that someone is actually gonna buy it. And also, I remember. Uh, my first, uh, the first time that I put together a website in in a weekend, and and uh, which was you know very different from what we have at the moment. But basically, I built it myself, and and I put the first certificates after the course, and I invited people to buy them. And I was like, wow, would anyone, <laughs> would anyone actually want to buy this thing? No. And then, believe me, like when when I first started getting those. You know, emails confirmation that that someone actually bought a certificate from us, and and so far we've sold over 400 certificates for our courses. Uh, I thought, wow, this is fascinating, no? And and believe me, I've I've never been uh, as happy to to earn hundred dollars <laughs> as I was back in the days. And then eventually you you realize that you need you need more than that, no? In order to to make a company that's scalable and that can grow and can become uh can can afford to have a team you need to have a business model that actually works so we found out that certificates were were had their limits and also so four, 400 certificates at 50 dollars each uh will uh you know pay one month's rent <laughs> and uh what do you do the next month Exactly. So, you know, I, I had to get very creative. In fact, at some point, I, I decided to do architectural tours of New York City, which, in fact, was what uh, kept us going for, for a while <laughs> until it got too cold in the winter and I couldn't <laughs> do them anymore. So you had people coming from all over the world for personalized tours, right? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, that, that was, that was uh, actually a pretty interesting experience. Maybe no. that would be a better business. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe yes, you know, but but it's not as scalable, you know. Right, so, right. So you know that was that was fascinating extension so, of the online courses because I had people from Argentina, from Spain, from Asia, from uh, Cuba, or parts of the United States that would come for uh, for on-site tours that were, uh, let's say, an extension of my contemporary architecture course, and that in fact made more money than. Than selling cert- online certificates. <laughs> but so, so eventually, I I met with you, and you were involved with a an accelerator. So, what was that? How did that? Ha- or an incubator, rather. How do, how does that work? Uh, what was that about? Yeah. So, so you know, th- there is a path that um, startups take, and and I was fortunate to discover this path, and and I've been naturally driven to being an entrepreneur because my my father and and a lot of people from my family are entrepreneurs so i've um i've kind of started this journey and 
you find out that there is actually a lot of support for entrepreneurship. There is a lot of there is a huge community here in Silicon Alley in New York and in Silicon Valley in San Francisco uh, for and, in the Bay Area. And, and for any of our listeners around the world, what you're about to hear is actually being done in cities everywhere. So if you do want to start a business and you're anywhere in the world, see if you can find what Yvonne's about to describe because it does exist now in a lot of places. So yes, at, at some point when, when things start getting serious with, with your business and uh, you start getting some traction, then you realize that there, there is actually structure to scale your business. And, and these are the incubators and the accelerators. So a year ago, we were very fortunate to participate in an accelerator called Edge at Tech, which was a spin-off from Techstars. And Techstars is one of the um, most important uh, accelerator programs um, in the world. So last year, I, I found out about this uh, program, actually, from a fellow Harvard graduate who was um, who was the managing director of this accelerator, and he invited me to participate. And we applied, and we were selected among 560 other companies. No, so it was a very, very tough process and very difficult selection process with a number of interviews and a lot of uh, research and due diligence on their side. But once you um, are selected to uh, for an accelerator program, usually it's an intensive program of, of uh, two to three months. In our case, it was three months that starts from analyzing the status of the company, analyzing the market, analyzing the business model that you have, and then making a plan for growth. So describe uh, two things. One is physically what was it like? In other words, what's their space like? And then the other one is the importance of the business plan. In other words, we can fall in love with an idea and then say, uh, great, you know, there's a need, I, we can provide it. And then someone looks at it and says, you don't have a business plan. And when you do, it says if your company was to get 10 times as big, you would lose 10 times as much money. There's no path here to make money. We got we got to uh, we've got to alter this business plan. So what's the space like, and what was the business advice like? So the space was we were at um, Alley NYC, uh, which is one of the co-working spaces um, in New York, similar to WeWork. They're on Seventh Avenue and Thirty Seventh Street. It's a large shared space. And in that space, we were 10 companies from the accelerator and another 10 companies, EdTech companies, who were with us in the same space. And every day, we would be introduced to a number of mentors. On average, we would meet five mentors from uh, the beginning until the afternoon, from the morning until the afternoon, and would spend 20 minutes with each mentor. And those mentors were really some of the leaders in the, in the industry. Um, venture capitalists, other entrepreneurs, uh, people who are CEOs of uh, large companies like uh, Pearson, Kaplan, McGraw-Hill. So these were really the leaders of the of the industry. So, so in this case, this particular um, incubator or accelerator, so do I understand that the person running it uh, had select this was for companies in the education technology field, 
<clears throat> and then what's in it for the people doing this is that if they spot that you're going to be successful, they'll invest in you. So for them, it's a way to feed them opportunities to get into the ground floor with good ideas. Absolutely. For them, it's a, it's a great way to source early stage companies with a lot of potential. And the way it works is you give up some equity and you receive some money and also the participation in, uh, in the program. So for, for an early stage company, as we were at that time, it was really a great opportunity to, to rethink where we were and to reshape our business model, to grow our team and to have the initial funding to pay salaries to our team for, for the duration of the program. So um, during the program, we found out, as you mentioned, that the business model we had did not work. So <laughs> interestingly, we found ourselves in, in the largest industry ever, which is the building industry with uh, $13 trillion revenue per year globally and with $65 billion, um, invest uh, that are spent every year on online education in the building industry. But we did not um, have a model that worked because we were targeting the uh, part of the market that did not have the opportunity to, to pay us. So uh, a lot of our uh, users were uh, people from all over the world, a lot of developing countries. So we were, we were just struggling to, to get paid for all the efforts that we did. So during the program, we uh, in fact moved from higher education to professional education. And we also expanded from just architecture to the entire building industry. Architecture, even if it's probably the most fascinating part of the building industry, it's the one that uh, generates the least revenue. Architects, uh, if you look at the most famous architects and the, the hourly billing if, uh, for, the, for the senior partner and firms you'll, you know, you'll read about in the Times all the time, their billing rate is about one-tenth what top lawyers is. Absolutely. So <laughs> it's just there's no money there. <laughs> exactly. So everyone is very surprised about you know the status of the profession, and that's something that we are we are set to improve. By the way, at Build Academy, because uh, really the architects are are some of the most creative and innovative minds in the industry, and at and the same they, time, they 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 provide no real services. Enough. I mean, imagine you build a uh, hundred million dollar building, so the architect. Uh, let's just say gets a 10% fee, so they'll get $10 million. And they'll work on this for five years. They have 20 people in the office. Uh, they're paying rent. They're paying salaries. Uh, and then they're taking these huge risks. The, the, um, they're liable for anything that goes wrong in that building for the rest of their lives, even after they retire. So they have to maintain their liability insurance, you know, till the day they die. And then a real estate agent comes along and sells it, <laughs> puts in an hour's work, and gets a 6% fee. <laughs> well, but the real estate, you know, uh, the real estate developers take a lot of the risk. You know? Oh, the developer, uh, yeah. But uh, I mean the, I mean the agent. Um, architects is a, is a service profession, so it is... As such, yes, you, you get to have a lot of fun and you get to be creative, but at the same time, um, architects have somehow outsourced the responsibility and the risks to others, to the developers, to the contractors, to the engineers. So in a way, the profession has changed quite a lot in, in the past 100 years from, from being 
the master builder or the people with the, the the people with the ultimate responsibility for the project to being more of the purely design side of the project at least here in the united states that's the reality so at build academy we're in fact set to to make this change and we are teaching a lot of professional courses so we have courses in in running a business you no know, which is something that no one teaches you when you are in a design school so we have courses on on uh, professional education and professional development for um, architects and and engineers to become more successful and to be able to uh, grow in their career but to get back to to what it is to to run a company uh, and and our experience in the past year with this uh, accelerator you know eventually afterwards after the accelerator we were we were able to evolve quite a lot as a company we were able to evolve as a team as a business model as a focus to our market so right after the accelerator we were fortunate enough to uh, to be funded by the top edtech vc firm in the world called learn capital they're based in san mateo in uh, near san francisco in california so they're the same investors that have invested in Coursera, in General Assembly, in, in Udemy, in Minerva, and, and Singularity University, and many others. So, you know, we are one of their smallest portfolio companies, but one of the companies that they spend the most time on because they're really passionate about what we do. Great. So that has been our opportunity to scale the business and to, you know, grow our team. At, the, at this moment, we are 12 people at the company, and we are working with a number of uh, large uh, corporations in the building industry, and we have gone from having one online course in contemporary architecture to having currently 25 of our own courses, multiple courses also from our partners. Fantastic. So let me just describe something for our listeners that they, they might check into. Uh, we'll get back to for whom Build Academy is, and if any of our listeners might be interested, but no matter what you do, you might be interested in modern architecture, contemporary architecture, Frank Lloyd Wright, take a course in that, or just, you know, watch some online lectures. So you can do that at Build Academy. And uh, you can also, I've been thinking about this and, and with my classes, and so I set up software on my laptop that by from which I project my PowerPoints in class, and I record all my lectures. So if you go to John Lobel on YouTube, you'll find them. And I've noticed something interesting. I have very sophisticated students in my graduate course, and they're very demanding in that it's my job. I'm, I, I can talk, <laughs> particularly if I got images in front of me. But it's really my job to get them to talk. Uh, that's the job. And to get them to think and participate and talk, and that's how they train to be professionals. So <clears throat> what I tried doing was um, all my lectures are recorded from the past couple of years, and then this year I said, you know what, for the Islamic lecture or the pre-Columbian uh, architecture lecture, I'm not going to give the lecture. Watch it on YouTube before class. And then everybody comes to class having watched it, and now we can spend the whole two and a half hours uh, in discussion. And so it makes for a really interesting experience. So we're all having this experience of, you used the term 
earlier, blended education and uh, universities that are aware of, you know what, we're not going to, you know, run our university online, but there is a lot that we can be doing in terms of using these technologies to enhance what we're doing. So I think that's called blended education, and, uh, you know, we're all experimenting with that. But getting back to Build Academy, how would you describe this, um, uh, to wrap up, how would you describe the building industry? What does Build Academy going to do for it, and how are you doing that? What changes does it need? So the building industry, as I mentioned earlier, it's it's the largest industry in the world and um, employs uh, around 100 million people all over the world. And um, Now, if we can only get one-tenth of one percent of that industry, we'll have a successful business. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's, that's the goal. <laughs> yes. So for the building industry, you know, building industry has... Interestingly, involved much less than any other industry that we know. If you think about the innovation in technology, in automation, in the medical industry, like so, so we look at how Tesla is making cars compared to Ford, exactly, and then we go to Dubai and watch them build that half mile tall building. It's basically the same way they built the Empire State Building a hundred years ago. Exactly. So I I talked to a lot of. Uh, executives and owners of large construction industry, large construction companies right now, and they're saying, look, you know, we're building like bigger and bigger buildings, but the technology we use is the same as we used 60 years ago. So not much has changed. So the productivity in the building industry has been uh, uh, declining, and we are not taking advantage of all the technological advancement that we have. And right now at Build Academy, what we do is essentially gather the greatest skills and knowledge in the industry, put it online, and make it available to professionals, companies, and governments all over the world. We work with the industry's top experts, some of the top universities, and some of the top companies to create these um, online courses and programs and package them. They're all modular content, so we package them into four different enterprise products. We have case studies where we feature specific methodologies, products, or projects. We have expert knowledge for companies that want to capture the uh, potential, internal potential of their experts so that when they retire or move to another job, uh, that knowledge is preserved in the company and they don't have to reinvent the wheel. We have something actually quite fascinating called crowdsourcing or crowdsolving, uh, where we find specific problem with uh, one of our partners and we design a course or a challenge around this and we crowdsource solutions through our community of now over 60,000 people all over the world. And after two months of this course or challenge, we come up with hundreds of solutions and then our partner or the final user uh, chooses the best solutions and eventually implements them. And our signature product is called Project Alignment, where we work with large companies to identify what their needs are, and we do an initial assessment to understand the skills and knowledge that their uh, team needs to have, and then we create these very targeted and personalized training programs for 
all the people working on a specific project to understand, to, to, to gain the skills and knowledge that are necessary for being successful on this project. Great. So this is John Lavelle. Our show is Visionaries. My guest has been Ivan Shumkov, and you've been hearing about revolutionizing the building industry and the education industry. And you'll find Yvonne's company at buildacademy.com. There is a lot of specialized material about the building industry there, but there's some really cool courses on contemporary architecture, Frank Lloyd Wright, modern architecture that anyone would enjoy. Anyone who's interested in the building industry, it's a great place to start to look into, and you can listen to this show or for friends to this particular episode of our show at visionaries.podbean.com. It'll be up in a day or so, and look forward to seeing you next Monday.